welcome from Amsterdam, and thanks for tuning in to a new episode of Game Consultant. Your host of today is Reinout. It is Sunday, August the second, and welcome to Game Consultant, and yet a new episode, episode thirty-eight. And um, so today I have the two interviews. First of all, a new VC firm has joined the party. I was talking to Ethan. Ethan Rijssel, actually that's a Dutch name, um, and Ethan is explaining me more about vgames.vc. Um, obviously, I have the link in my blog, so you can click either to the site or to his LinkedIn profile. Um, yeah, we talk about what kind of gaming companies he's looking at, how can he support game founders. Um, He's telling about uh, Eastern Europe that he finds very interesting. We talk also about Israel, because uh, that's where he's based, um, how the games industry is evolving there. Um, we talk about founders. We talk about early investments, how the industry is growing. Really interesting. And uh, so therefore, that would be actually the first part. Yes. <laughs> and uh, secondly, we have the interview with Robbie. Robbie Young, uh, CEO of Animoco Brands. We had the first part of the interview last week. And I got really nice comments. Um, apparently, we were able to make things more tangible, that people understand what it is to actually work with blockchain in gaming. So today, the second part, and uh, uh, Robbie is giving his vision about blockchain in games. So um, that's all pretty cool. Um, some news that I wanted to share, if you actually want to be up to date about things that I find important. I mean, there are all kinds of sites where you can read the news, like GamesBeat, Pocket Gamer, Games Industry. I'm a big fan from... Uh, those kind of um, sites that it's all about uh, gaming. For esports, I always go to the Esports Observer. So esportsobserver.com, that's a site where I get a lot of news about esports and the others are actually pretty much about gaming in general. Um, thing uh, that I felt was very uh, interesting to look at was Riot Games. Uh, Riot Games actually had a sponsorship um, which they had dealt with and then internally people started to talk. It was about Neom, which is in a Saudi uh, a city. Um, people internally were complaining, uh, complaining about why Riot was actually signing a contract. Um, um, you know, I, I actually saw that Saudi Arabia is actually working on a 2030 vision. Um, I, I'm really wondering if if people are aware of that and um if everyone could actually give me more update about if they are that's one thing two what does it behold and three um i mean coming from something that maybe was not good going to a point that maybe can improve at what point at what stage are you giving them um i said that benefit of the doubt Anyways, uh, secondly, I had an article that was shared uh, loads and loads on um, uh, on LinkedIn. It was Roblox, um, as I call it, a platform for little gamers. Um, really interesting. Uh, I got from Dubit uh, a report and some highlights. And, um, and 
half of the children aged 9 to 12 in the USA play Roblox every week, logging in over 1.5 billion hours a month. There you go. I mean, uh, so check it out on my website, podcastgameconsultant.com. Go to the section News and Insights. I also have worldwide XR revenues uh, updates from Q2. As I said, also the Mega Grants by Epic, a little bit more explanation. So, um, and today I'm actually posting something about the bigger uh, platform companies like Apple and what's happening with them. In any case, um, thank you for listening and joining for our episode 38 today. And uh, let's start with uh, Ethan, who's talk about vgames.vc, investment in games. Games industry, $160 billion. Um, it's growing. It's growing fast. We have esports. We have streaming. And obviously, uh, sometimes people do forget that there is also development. And nothing more risky than investing in, in game development, I always say. Um, but um, another thing which I find always important is that um, I'm, uh, in the coming episodes, I'm going to talk about certain territories. Uh, later on in this episode, we also talk about MENA region. Um, it's, it's interesting to see that certain territories are flourishing because once you have exits, you create angels and angels actually lead to connections, good connections with VCs and there, well, there you go. Um, so today I'm actually talking to Ethan uh, Ethan Rijssel. It's actually partly Dutch, which is good. Uh, <laughs> That's right. You said better than I could. <laughs> Rijssel. And um, he started uh, with his partner uh, a new venture fund. It's called V Games with the V of Victor V Games. But obviously, I have the link on my blog anyways. So, uh, Ethan, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I yes. It's awesome. I mean, uh, that's Let's get started. I mean, uh, you said there is there is something with the name. Explain me. V game. V games. So I wish I had an interesting, cool story behind it. Um, my anchor investor is Viola. Um, you know, Danny Cohen, which is he's an amazing guy. And they were like the first to commit to the fund. I said, you know what? Let me steal your V. Um, and then uh, V game sounded like a good uh, thing. I ran to uh, GoDaddy. I saw that it's available. Well, vgames.com was not, but vgames.vc bought the domain, and here we go. So, so. <laughs> I wish I had a more appealing story about that, but uh, hey. <laughs> that's where the name came from. Yeah, love it. No, sometimes the easier it is, the, the more recognizable. I mean, I wouldn't forget it. Vgames. Hey, and and um, so you started it uh, yourself and uh, a co-founder. Um, how did you guys? Well, tell me a little bit about your backgrounds and 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 how did the idea suddenly come up? Why why would you like to start a fund? Sure, sure. So just to just to uh, put things in place. So I'm uh, the single. So it's only I'm the only founder here. Um, yeah. I'll explain the relationship with uh, our ankle LP. Um, let's go a little bit about history, and then I'll explain why, uh, how I came up with uh, the fun, the concept, the idea. So I was, uh, I worked for Google for many years, and in 2013, I had a beautiful opportunity to set up Google's gaming division out of Tel Aviv. 
um, where I'm based, uh, really working with the largest publishers in the world and the smallest publishers on the world on everything that Google can serve game companies. Before that, I was not a gamer. You know, I played games always, but I couldn't define myself as a gamer. And I really fell in love with the industry, with the talent, with the entrepreneurs, with the speed of it. Yeah. And I very quickly also became a gamer. Um, if you ask my wife, maybe too much. I became <laughs> addicted to games of every genre and every type. Yeah. And I played a console and PC and mobile, of course. Uh, yeah. I'm sure we'll cover that. Yeah. And then about a year and a half ago, after leaving Google and doing some things, some other stuff, I started angel investing in the space, um, did an investment in Israel and an investment abroad, and then understood that that's the wrong approach for me personally into this industry for several reasons. I think the main one is one is an investor in games with all the risk and the content angle to it. You do have to do a distribution and portfolio strategy. It will be wrong to do three to four companies. You need to do 15 to 20. And the second is, I think we're very much developed in this world of games, but it's becoming more and more expensive, especially the marketing part of it. Yeah. And the checks have to be more significant. And then I looked a little bit of what's going on in the world, Europe, Asia, US, and I said, you know, Israel is such a booming industry in terms of games. Why don't we have a dedicated vehicle? And that's where the idea came from 10 months ago. I started uh, fundraising. I met uh, Viola, which are the largest venture capital here in Israel, yeah. uh, the local venture capital. They were looking into games for a long time, um, specifically Danny Cohen, who's like the lead B2C investor in Israel. And they were really thinking of how to do this. Um, because again, I think for a generalist fund that does early stage, to do one or two companies, probably not the right way to do it. Yeah. And I offer them to join as an LP. You know, for me, it's a great benefit because I get partners that are already VCs. It gives me an interesting perspective on the market. Um, and they agreed, which is very unique for a generalist fund to, you know, play the LP role. Yeah. And that's how it started. So once, uh, you know, they signed off, um, we raised from many additional investors, amazing investors. And the fund is now live for three months. We already did four investments. We're in the process of the fifth. So yeah, pretty exciting and pretty active. Yeah, because uh, I checked on um, on the site. I see two yet, so you have to update yeah, the site, well, I guess. Because I can't disclose the other two, but hopefully soon. <laughs> okay, cool, cool. And and uh, the size of the fund, the size of the checks you're looking at, can you say a little bit more yeah, about that? So we haven't finished fund the process but we're almost there the size of the fund is going to be 45 million dollars yeah um, we're going to sign checks anywhere between 250 to 2 million and of course we're going to have money to follow on as well yeah um you know so we're, we're happy to lead rounds join rounds you know um i think also geo is important so half of the fund will be invested in israel but the other half will be global yeah. i'm happy to dive into that specific markets where I think are more interesting for us as investors and less crowded. Yep. Um, I have a very important sweet spot for Eastern Europe and Poland specifically. Uh -huh. um, but we already did a deal in the U.S. So we're very much, we're looking for strong teams, the right genres, opportunities to build big companies. And, you know, and then we're happy to invest less of a, where they're physically based, especially in the world that we're living in, which we're all based in a, a screen in Zoom or Hangout or whatever it is, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So if, if you would 
describe an ideal target. Um, we were just saying like, okay, um, uh, would it be mobile or doesn't really matter? Or what, what would be an ideal target? And, and ideally, what would be the the phase to get in? Is that is that early? Yeah, so we're we're in our let's say our strategy or the fund strategy is to be early investors, yeah. um, first or second money in. And again, if it's deals that I believe that are very unique for us, and they are later stages, we will consider because I think again the world of games is really a world of opportunity. Yeah, and you know the fund did not exist two years ago, and there were amazing investors out there doing amazing deals. Um, so I'd say, yeah, first money in. Um, of course, we want to make sure that we support the company by ourselves or with co-investors with enough cash to, uh, you know, to make sure that they can move on to the next milestone. And then I think the most important piece is really what we're looking for. So we're a fund that's very much targeting studios. We're less interested in tech-related stuff that surrounds the game ecosystem. I think also that's where there are more investors, also in Israel and abroad. So we're more content related. In terms of wearing content, if it's mobile, um, PC, AAA, you know, consoles, anything, then we're really agnostic. I'd love to invest in everything. Yeah. Of course, it's very different investment strategies. Naturally, Israel is a more mobile, casual ecosystem. So I guess the majority of our deals here will be mobile, casual, but... You know, we're looking into PC teams now. And so we're very, very broad and open. There are genres that I less relate to as an investor. So maybe that's where you'll see less investment. But yeah, I'm sure that if we talk in a year, we'll have a abroad. You know, yeah, abroad and we'll have portfolio companies really representing each each um, place in this in, in different genres and different scopes. Yeah. So how's Israel these days? Um... Um, how's, the, how's the climate for investments? How's the climate for gaming? Yeah, that's a, probably a global, you know, not only Israel, it's a global question because we're all going through this uh, crazy times. But um, Israel is, is fascinating in terms of what happened here in the past 10 years. You know, if you look at historically, Israel was always a very, very strong tech environment. You know, we're well known for... Um, you know, the capital that comes into this market and IDF, of course, and um, and then, you know, a lot of cybersecurity and very big companies came out of here. But we were always like less known for consumer stuff. And I think that's really changing yeah. in the past five to ten years. And specifically, if you look at games, you know, companies like Playtica, which I think are one of the most interesting game companies in the world today. Yeah. Yeah. More Moon Active, which is the rising star. Or even companies like Iron Source, right, who play yep. like Botiana. I think Israel really became a, a booming, you know, multi-billion-dollar um, game industry. I think the beauty is now we're seeing the new generation. Part of the new generation is coming out of these companies who are now grown into, you know, um, more established companies. Some are new entrepreneurs coming in from other genres. And I must tell you, I'm very involved in this scene, and I'm still surprised every week of the amount of inbound. Um, and leads and opportunities that we're getting. Um, yeah. Of course, now that we're a fund, you know, and we're more public with this, it only increases. But I can give you, if you want some stats, I get in about one new company a week only in Israel. Yeah. Um, which is pretty crazy to the fact that we're only a 9 million 
people <laughs> population, right? Yeah. People seem to forget that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's only yeah. nine million. Uh, <clears throat> the, the, the country has a huge impact uh, on tech in the last decade, I would say, and and, and definitely the last five years, gaming. Uh, it has really played the guys around the block already for quite a long time. But you see so many new gaming companies come to the party. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. It's fascinating. It's like we really have the big tier, the mid tier, the young tier now that's coming out and popping in, and we're fueling as well. So. Yeah, I think we're only at the beginning. I think uh, Israel is up to in the next three to five years. We're going to see many, many, many additional big companies come out of here. And another very interesting trend about Israel: a lot of the global players are seeking for M and A or opening offices here because I think you know, there's a there's an entrance to pool or specific talent, especially around monetization, marketing, economy. I think Israel has a very strong angle, and you see more and more. You know, the global developers um, looking to open offices here. So yeah. I think that's pretty cool. So um, developers that actually do an entry in Israel, um, so bottom line, um, uh, do you also see that the indie culture over there is, is, is flourishing right now? Because it, obviously you need talent. Eh? I mean, that, that's always a struggle. I mean, if you look at yeah. Finland... Uh, definitely has a, a lot of people call it the mecca for mobile. Uh, but if you talk to Finnish entrepreneurs, uh, the biggest issue right now is talent, getting talent over there. So it's, it's, I think it's a great question. It's, I think there's a lot of indie um, happening here. I don't think we're surfacing it enough. Um, and I think part of that is also has to do with investments, right? Because I think, you know, it is a chicken and egg. Yeah. If you want to grow an indie industry and make sure that things come on on uh, Roblox and Steam, you have to make sure that you feel because not everything can be self-developed. Also, Israel is a country where labor cost is expensive. Um, I think there's a lot of combination of talent. So a lot of Israeli um, game companies have studios as well in Ukraine and Belarus and Poland is now there's an interesting uh, connection happening as well. Again, I think part of it is labor cost. Part of it is I think there is, we are missing some you know, parts of talent that I think we less have in Israel, maybe on the creative side, uh, maybe on the art side. Um, but I think an interesting thing that you see here, and I think you can see it in Playtica and Plarium and Moon Active as well, is that you know they are becoming global companies and opening offices all around the world really to recruit talent and yeah. not only looking to do it in Israel. Yeah. yeah, I totally agree. If the focus will be only Israel. We will probably be missing out on amazing talent in other places. Yeah. And then you emphasized Eastern Europe. I mean, um, do you have a specific reason for Eastern Europe? Is it because of uh, the, the, the low labor cost or is it because you see more companies arise there that are interesting? So I think low labor cost is probably a good excuse when you look on the financial perspective. I don't think that's a reason for any investor to look into opportunities. I think, let, let me speak about Poland specifically. I've been involved. There's a beautiful initiative there with um, by Google called Games Camp. And, you know, I had uh, the privilege of mentoring a few groups there and, and being a judge in a few of the, um, they have like, uh, you know, pitch days and stuff like that. And I think, I divide it into two. One, I think there's um, really great founder talent, which you don't find everywhere, right? I think people yeah. that are ambitious and, you know, they want to build big companies and they want to list them in the market. And, 
You know, they really want to build content that can reach the entire world. And second, I think it is a pool of really, really unique talent. Like if you, in Poland, you have a beautiful art and creative, right? At the end of the day, a game is a good story, yeah. right? And a good story with good animation, right? I always say it's, it's, it's an evolution of the um, film industry. Um, and I think there's just the right rhythm, the right talent. I do think that, you know, there is some, to be honest, there, there is something you know, some investments that we have to do, not only money investments, but really, you know, maybe be more educators on how to raise capital. Um, I've seen beautiful deals that I can't access as an investor because the structure of the company is wrong. Yeah. Um, you know, at the end of the day, you have to invest in founders and not in other investors. But again, I think it's not, I'm not criticizing. I think that's evolution. And, you know, that's probably what was available to date. And I really hope that we can partner with the local players there. There are some amazing, beautiful, you know, public companies. Huge game is very, you know, is a, is a very important player, I think, in Poland today. And yeah. very excited of the opportunities there. I think we can do really amazing things. And Czech Republic and, and you know, actually looked at a company in Belarus a few days ago. I think there's really, you know, there's a new up-and-coming talent. Um, a lot of it is on work for hire. Actually, a lot of U.S. companies are building today in Poland. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, there's no reason why these developers don't become independent, you know, found their own studios and, uh, we're happy to support them. That's what we're here for. Yeah. Hey, and, and, and on the side, I saw, uh, you believe in data and art. Let's, let's spark the art. You, you just mentioned it, the data. Uh, I mean, that, that is in your backyard a lot, of course. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, Israeli company that, um, have a model, uh, with data, can, can you explain a little bit more about how you look at data and gaming? So I, th I think there are two angles to this. One, you know, as an investor in this space, if you want to really understand the health of the company and they're not, you know, they launched already the game or they're in the process or soft launch, et cetera, you know, you have to really put emotions aside and look at the numbers. The numbers in this industry don't lie, right? If you ask me the number one factor in a game company, to be honest, more I, more I care about their retention than, you know, any revenue metric. I think if we're going to the content world, the fact that you have good retention numbers shows that people want to, you know, are enjoying your content. And then how to monetize them is a philosophy that, of course, and that's the second angle of data. But I think, one, it is very important for us as investors to be very data-driven and very open about how we look at companies, especially around retention and engagement metrics. The second is, you know, and I think that's where Israel is really strong, right? Mm -hmm. When I look at a team, you do want to see data foundations. You want to see data foundations from day one. I think games today is a very, very competitive, um, you know, there are, nobody gives the exact number, but people say that there are a million games at every point of time, you know, in the, in the stores. And I actually think it's much more in the yeah. geos, et cetera. But, um, you know, you have to be very smart. You have to understand who your audience is, how you segment them, what you serve to what audience, you know, what difficulty you provide to what audience, what monetization type, what economy type. And I think it's super important to have, you know, very strong data caveats and backgrounds and the ability to really dive into the raw data. Um, I'm personally passionate about that angle, maybe growing up at Google, you know, yeah. a very data-driven person. Um, but yeah, I think it's key. I think it's key on the investment side, and I think it's totally key on the monetization side as well. Got it. Thanks.
We can't live without art, right? Art at the end of the day, with all due respect to data, we have yeah. to. <laughs> yeah, obviously. Well, having said that, I, I always make the statement I've seen such ugly games do so so well, uh, and sometimes I've seen these most beautiful looking, uh, outstanding games that didn't do jack shit. Um, but yeah, that's 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 something else. Totally. Yeah, totally. I don't know if art is a testimony of the game is pretty or not. I think it's, you know, how it's served to you, how the storyline, you know, how even how tiring your eyes get after playing. I can give you a live example. I think homescapes and gardenscapes, and you know, I'm a big yeah. fan of clerics in general. I think that's a game that you can play for hours and your eyes just don't, you know, you can just continue on playing. And I don't know, something there with the pixels, with the resolution, with the colors is so native that it's just unbelievable. So far, the part one of the interview with Ethan. So next episode, we're continuing. Um, trust me, he's telling some more insights and ideas how you can actually also work with this new gaming fund. Um, next is the interview with Robbie. And funny enough, I, I had a very fun interview with Robbie. And he basically said uh, a lot of things about blockchain, how to integrate, et cetera, et cetera. And then I already told him before, like, okay, I need to cut it in two. But suddenly our connection was completely gone. It's like, wow. And um, so uh, we got back in and, and uh, <laughs> you know, technology these days, 220, why not? And we continued. So I didn't take it away. It's actually, <laughs> we had to laugh about it. And we just, we, we basically continued where we left off. Enjoy blockchain and games. Hi. Yes. Not sure what happened there. No, no worries. Actually, I wanted to do it in two parts anyways, because this is really interesting. <laughs> so <laughs> this, is, this is how then, uh, that's the first part. But um, we continue. Uh, you were saying like the big ones, the big uh, mobile game companies are waiting till there is more alignment. And, 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 yeah, I think they're waiting, they're waiting until the standards are much more agreed upon. Yeah. Um, because as big game companies they're the dominant players in their existing platform. Yeah, and yeah. so their entire business is geared up towards servicing that dominating strategy. And yeah. so to ask them to embrace a new platform with maybe a new development model or a new business model is difficult because it requires restructuring their organization. And if they're already making a big profit and, and, and being very successful at the old strategy, it's it's the classic big business problem. It's it's difficult for them to innovate because they don't have much incentive. They're already good at what they do. Yeah, I'm I'm getting all kinds of. Uh, first of all, I, I I love this interview. So I'm going to the next angle that I actually popped up in my head, and maybe already it's with you guys for a long time. Um, crowdfunding was there, um, but I, 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 now esports is getting big, and 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 lots of young ones actually. Um, yeah, obviously you need to live also and, and could actually um, blockchain facilitate a way that I'm, um, I'm having a piece of a potential pro player and um, because I'm buying a piece of him, um, he or she gets to able to train, uh, well, they, they make some money because then they can survive and then eventually 
that that player might actually do very well and starts winning pricing, uh, prize money. Yep. And then I'm getting some money back too um, because I'm sort of a shareholder of that esports player. That's one question, how you see that. And two, um, since I'm owning in a game characters, these kind of things, and that game might actually become a, a, a very popular esports uh, game with tournaments. Uh, now, pricing money is being set a lot of times like 10, 20, 30% of the revenues are being put in pricing pools. How does blockchain, how could blockchain affect that way? Um, could it then become bigger? Can I be part of the tournaments? And how, how do you see esports e and blockchain? So I think, um, first of all, the, the mechanics of how you do payouts and things like that and contracts, definitely, um, you know, that's, can be made easier with blockchain. Um, I have some friends here in London who are who manage esports teams, uh, and they do all the contracts and everything on the blockchain because um, it's much easier across multiple jurisdictions and currencies and everything to have somewhat auto-executing contracts, if you will. Um, but I think the thing about esports, us excited as content people, is the idea of what the players in esports are using in their sport. Um, so for example, say you have uh, you know, an esports um, racing game, driving game, yeah. um, and you think about you know, the successful esports player who drives their car, you know, Formula One car, um, to an esports championship. If that is a, a blockchain NFT, non-fungible token, um, you think about once they have won that esports tournament, what is the value of that car? Because the value of the car should be affected by the fact that it now has that provenance. It has that reputation that it's a championship car. So on the one hand, you know, like in our F1 Delta Time game, which is a Formula One game, we have cars representing the real world F1 team. So you can buy Lewis Hamilton's car, for example. Yeah. So how do you compare the value of Lewis Hamilton's car versus the global esports champions F1 car. Um, and that I think is really interesting because then you can see what players think because you know players always want to collect cool stuff and, um, and they can be just as much fans of their esports idols as they can their real world F1 idols, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, funny. So actually, Legislation is still right now because we're, we're sort of surpassing it. I'm not sure if I yes, said it in the right definitely. way. <laughs> definitely. Well, and, and the thing is, sorry, it just occurred to me. The other, yeah. the other part of it is from an esports perspective, you can think about people making a career not just on prize money, but making a career for themselves on um, enhancing the value of the objects that they play with. So as I mentioned, you know, that that championship car um, could increase in value because the person won a championship. So they can think about their career path, not just in terms of prize money of winning the tournament, but being able to sell their prize winning car at the end of the year so that the time they spend in playing the game um, earns them money because they're actually, um, they're actually able to uh, sell the merchandise that they earn over time. Yeah. So how's the roadmap for, for Animoco? I mean, um, is, is blockchain an, a complete focus for the company 
for the next few years? Are you looking for game developers? Um, how would you how would you like to engage with 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 the gaming industry? How do you see your role? So I think that one of the things that we're doing is we're very actively. Um, you know, we see ourselves as spokespeople for the for the blockchain game industry, and and that's not because we think we're you know particularly the best at it, but more because we love it and we really think it's the future of gaming. But in order for it to grow, we need to have the community grow as big as possible, and so we're actively encouraging players, developers, everybody to get involved in blockchain gaming because we think it's the future of gaming. Full stop, um, and. One of the things from the gamer's perspective that I think um, is quite exciting that, that gives you a vision of the future is this idea of cross-platform content sharing. Yeah. So blockchain, because you tokenize the content, you know that Formula One car that you buy in the game um, has the potential to be used in every other game that is a blockchain game, which means... It could be a console blockchain game, a web blockchain game, or a mobile blockchain game. And the idea of being able to take your content across all those platforms and across titles and platforms both is truly revolutionary. And that's the kind of thing that I think gamers have always been dreaming of because if they spend enough time and energy um, to personalize their characters or their items um, to be a, a, a virtual representation of themselves. Um, they want to bring that identity with them wherever they travel in the metaverse, so to speak. Yeah. And for the company today, I mean, <clears throat> are, are you going to raise more money? Is, can, can you sort of see it like a buy and build of gaming companies um, to make a bigger footprint and through that also um, uh, get yes. your blockchain philosophy out there? Yes, yes, definitely. Uh, I mean, it's no secret we have been quite acquisitive over the last couple of years. Yeah. We're always looking um, to work with or to acquire great teams of game developers, um, particularly those who are working on things that we think have great blockchain game potential. Um, you know, not just existing teams that are working on blockchain games, um, but people who have interesting content or communities or things where you know it has it has the ability to sort of ramp itself up if we increase the functionality by making it into um, uh, by enabling blockchain um, in in the existing content. So I think we're looking at all of those options. Um, and as I said, you know we we just want to grow the ecosystem because the more the ecosystem grows, the more everybody benefits, and of course we benefit um, indirectly as well. Um, so I think, you know, if there are listeners of, of your podcast who are, who are developers who are interested in considering working on blockchain, um, I'm, I'm happy to have a chat with them. Um, and also, if there are people who have existing titles that, you know, the aspect of people truly owning the content in their games would add um, a huge dimension and uh, a functionality to the games and and really, you know, ramp up the revenues and the excitement in the community, um, then definitely I'd want to have a chat with them. Yeah. So then can, can well, if we look three, five years down the road, would you then be considered as a, a publisher uh, of blockchain games or blockchain environment or blockchain atmosphere? 
<laughs> Good question. I don't know. I don't know what we can define it as. Yeah. I mean, I think our approach um, so far has been: we're a developer, <clears throat> um, and but I think we're also um, we're both a developer and I'd say an investor in the segment yeah. because I think that um, as a developer, it gives us an advantage if we put an investment hat on because we understand what developers need and what problems developers face, et cetera. And our feeling, as I said, is that if we can increase, you know, if we can lift the tide of, of blockchain games, then, then all the boats will rise, our own included. Um, so we're very much into supporting the community. And, <clears throat> um, and so I think we do that with a number of different tools, um, some of which is investment and some of which is creating our own content. Got it, got it. Hey, and then, then will the company remain then be called Animoco Brands? Do you still use the word brands? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> um, don't know yet. Don't know yeah. yet. I, I think that's. I, I think people are people know us as that, um, mm. and obviously we've we've been a public company for quite a while, and so we're known by shareholders with that name. Yeah. But I think the brands aspect of it may be. Um, may be less important these days than it used to be. Um, so, uh, yeah, stay tuned. You never know. There may be a name change. Yeah, yeah. Got, it. got it. Well, this, uh, <clears throat> this was awesome. I mean, uh, I think this was a quick lesson in, in, in how to look at blockchain and um, but also um, ways to, well, get started. I mean, um, the, the, there are a lot of developers. I mean, I'm, I'm reading lots of indies are, checking it out, but they, they don't know how to start. I think that's the, the biggest uh, yes. fear, hurdle. Uh, I think also companies. Um, well, that, I, think, yeah. I think one of the things that they may want to do is contact existing blockchain game companies because um, there are also many, there are many great blockchain developers out there who want to make entertainment stuff with blockchain, but they don't actually have much experience with game development. And this is where you know, collaboration can really be a great thing. So yeah. I think, you know, because blockchain is no different than game development, you know, indies are groups of two, three, five people working. Um, and, and so I think you'll find a lot of um, like-minded people with similar experiences just on the other side of the fence and you can, and you can get together and work together with them. Yeah. Well, what I do is I'll, I'll, I'll have your LinkedIn uh, on my uh, blog so people can actually contact you and obviously link to, uh, to the side of the company. Um, if people are interested in, in getting to know more about blockchain, then uh, obviously they can reach out and, and also developers that maybe are working in blockchain uh, and want to have some, some feedback if they're on the right track. Um, yes. It goes two ways. Uh, you get to scout maybe uh, uh, new initiatives and, and, and they get some good advice from someone that well, it's, it's deep into blockchain. Um, Fantastic. I, I want to thank you for this. I mean, um, I learned uh, quite a few things today too. Um, that's the advantage of having a blockchain, uh, of, sorry, a podcast uh, that's <laughs> now about blockchain uh, topics. So thank you very much. Um, and um, yeah, definitely going to follow you. Uh, and I'm sure I'm going to see uh, some, uh, some news uh, about you guys in the near future. Fantastic. Thank you for having me today. Thank you to all the listeners. Um, and uh, yes, look forward to speaking again soon. All right. Thanks Thank again. you very much. All right. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye.
So I hope you uh, enjoyed the interviews with uh, Robbie and Ethan. Um, so part two of the interview with Ethan, which uh, really inspired me. Um, I, I really liked what he is. Well, I like what he's doing. And uh, the more, the better. Um, more funding always is good for an industry that is growing so fast. Um, let me see. I actually have... Yeah, so then the second part with Ethan is coming up uh, on Tuesday. Uh, then also I have uh, Chris, obviously. Um, I spoke to Joachim, not this week. Next week, Sunday, I think he might actually be back with his item. So that's going to be fun too. And let me see, what do I have more? Yeah, I had an interview with Tim um of tomatum and we talk about the mina area so that interview is coming up also in two parts um this week i'm gonna talk um malta malta and gaming that's gonna be really fun because i think it's uh, uh i was actually looking at at, at hype uh, they had a sort of a demo day, not an investor day but a demo day and it was uh, sponsored by gaming in malta and um, yeah, they do really some good stuff. So uh, that's also coming up. So lots of fun interviews. And um, well, I think that's about it. That covers it all. So that means ciao for now. This was all for today. Thanks so much for listening to Game Consultant. Tune in next week for a brand new episode. And remember, do share this podcast with other members of the games industry.